conversations about identity help us understand each other and ourselves. My colleague Scott Leadingham interviewed author Becky Albertalli, who wrote the book that inspired the movie Love, Simon. Her work deals with identity. So why are you interested in identity? Well, first, I'm going to say this. I'm not someone who people would generally say identifies as romantic or being into romance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I will say, you you say that, you you, you sort of (laughs) agreed with that a little too quickly, but okay. (laughs) I, I will say this in my defense. When Harry Met Sally is among my favorite movies and hands down I think has some of the best writing ever. I talk about quotable lines. Mm-hmm. I'll have what she's having. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> Probably the most quotable line from that movie, but there are many others. I mean, one of the best movie lines ever, one of my favorites from Harry toward the end. I came here tonight not because I'm lonely, but because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with someone You want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Mm, The New Year's Eve scene. Yes, yes. And and other than that movie, I wouldn't say I'm much for romance or even rom-com stuff. I feel like there's a but coming here, Scott. (laughs) Yeah, uh, but... A few months ago, I saw this movie, Love, Simon. Mm-hmm. That's the one about a teen gay coming out movie? Romance? Yeah. It, I mean, pretty standard. I mean, for 2021, where we are now, it doesn't seem that surprising. But, you know, in 2018, when it came out, it was it was sort of revolutionary in the sense of uh, a big-time Hollywood movie taking on this subject in a rom-com sense. And I remember thinking at the time, like, oh, that's nice. I'll get around to seeing it sometime. But it probably wasn't going to be in my normal movie-watching genre. Why not? I think it, it seemed a little too rom-com teeny bopper for my interest. Mm. And I'm also someone who has adamantly refused to watch any Harry Potter movies or read any of the books. <laughs> oh my God, what? Why? I know, I know. It, it's probably cliche to be a curmudgeon about it, but I just didn't really think those movies and books would speak to me, even when I was younger and they were really big. So I watched the movie Love, Simon, and I really, really liked it. Hmm. To be fair, it is certainly not the experience of all LGBTQ teens. It did speak to me in some ways and my experience, but certainly not always. It's gotten a lot of pushback, I should say, for being a little too sanitized or not really representative of real experiences. Okay, well... What love story or Hollywood romance is representative? (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right? That's sort of the idea, right? A sappy gay teen rom-com love story hadn't really been a major Hollywood project up until that point. So here comes Love, Simon. Mm -hmm. So you watch the movie end. And then I read the books. Love, Simon, uh, the movie is based on the book called Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda by Becky Albertalli. And there's actually a wider set of books called the Simonverse, Simon Universe, that is the basis for the movies and these spinoff things. There's three books in that original Simonverse series, and a new novella came out late last year. Hmm. It's based on the actual high school experience of the author, Becky Albertalli. And there's now even a spinoff series on Hulu called Love, Victor. It's set in the same high school where Love, Simon took place. Okay, so it sounds like you liked the books. I did. A lot. 
and I will say in ways that surprised me, frankly, kind of shockingly. Mm, but I'm guessing you never considered yourself a fan of young adult fiction. Correct. I did not. I would say Stephen King and Jess Walter are my go-to <laughs> authors and who are quite different than teen, young adult yes. rom-com. So why did you <laughs> read and dive deeply into these books? What worked well for you with these books? See, that is the question. I'm not really sure why. And Sue Ann, I, I also have to kind of admit something here. What's that? <laughs> are you familiar with fan fiction? Oh my gosh, Scott. Like fans of books <laughs> or movies writing, like when you write additional stuff of characters and post that online. Yes. Exactly. It's the fans of the body of work contributing to more body of work online and kind of making up their own side stories. It, it's a big thing. It, it may not surprise you that I have never read any of that of any kind whatsoever, but it is very big in the Harry Potter world, I will say. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing it's big in the Simonverse based on Becky Albertalli's books then, yeah? Yes, it is very big in the Simonverse. And my gosh, <laughs> here we go. I have been reading a lot of it. Why? If I knew that, Sue Ann, I would tell you. But I knew I, I wanted to talk with someone who might be able to shed some light on that. Like a therapist. <laughs> well, um, I don't have one of those, uh, at least not yet. <laughs> but here's the kicker. Becky Albertalli, the author of the Simonverse books, started out as a child psychologist before she became an author of these wildly successful books. Oh, how interesting. She has a deeper insight into it. So, so you talked to her. Yeah, I did. And it turns out she has a lot to say about identity and how we come out and present ourselves to the world. So here we go, presenting your chat with Becky Albertalli. So is it fair to say that most of your audience or the people you hear from are probably young adults, teenagers, early 20s? I'm curious how many people you hear from maybe in sort of my age, I'm late 30s, who didn't really realize they were going to be affected by books that were ostensibly meant for teenagers. It's been really interesting. And I think, you know, I try to get a handle on, you know, who uh, my audience really is or who I'm hearing from it tends to change very quickly, you know, and I think a pretty big portion of the young adult market are actually adult readers. And the Simon verse skews a little younger. I found sometimes I'll hear from like 10 or 11 year olds. I wouldn't say that's like the group I hear from most frequently, but sometimes I hear a lot from teenagers. I hear a lot from people who are about our age. And um, sometimes I, I will hear from like 72 year old gay man, or sometimes I'll hear from parents whose kids came out, sometimes parents whose kids came out a long time ago and um, they wish they'd handled it differently. You know, it's been really special to have the opportunity to hear from so many different people. Looking through the, the FAQs mm -hmm. on your website, and it struck me that you probably, those exist because you actually do get a lot of those questions and they, it's probably grown over time. But it seemed like I maybe in, interpreted a little bit that you probably got a lot of feedback from especially young teenagers who encountered Simon and the other books and then were aware of your background as a child psychologist and were actually asking you for advice, not necessarily from a fan standpoint as much as a, I kind of need some help. And was that hard at all if that you couldn't offer that because you weren't a professional at that point? No, it's, it's incredibly hard. And I think um, 
I, one of the reasons that I became a therapist in the first place, like my previous, you know, in my other professional life, um, you know, was that I feel a strong pull to like try to fix just these circumstances that kids are dealing with. I find it, um, really, really helpful to have like come into being an author with a whole clinical training, like a doctor, you know, like, and I almost think like, yeah, you kind of need a doctorate in psychology sometimes to be able to understand kind of the importance of boundaries and how to set boundaries kindly and respectfully and in a way that, you know, that, that is most helpful for your audience and is most helpful for your own mental health. But um, it's really, really hard to be a new author and to, you know, have a kid reach out to you talking about a tough experience that, especially in this space, writing like queer books, a lot of times there may or may not be a, an adult that they can trust who's safe for them to speak with. Also, sometimes, you know, a lot of the authors writing in this space have had experiences that sometimes mirror the things that teens are coming to them about. And so it's very tempting to want to be that adult, you know, and it's important to remember that for a public figure, even with a clinical background <laughs> like I do, you know, like if you are not a licensed professional engaged in a like specific therapeutic relationship with that person, you do not have the structures in place to support them without eventually failing them. You know, so I think, you know, it's really important to, um, you do choose to engage at all. It should be in a very particular way. And, um, and any, anyone who's a public figure is sort of trying to kind of navigate that, feel free to just like copy paste my website. You know, I don't run these organizations, but I'm so grateful for them. I mentioned to you previously that I had ostensibly bought the book series, all the Simon verse novels, collector's edition, you know, uh, three together. That's it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And then at the yeah. same time, then that's when I also discovered that, you know, the Love Creekside novella had, had come out. So I was like, oh, that's awesome. So like I said, I <laughs> had bought them for, to put in my mom's high school library, the same high school that I went through. And of course, there was really nothing like that in the high school when I was going through in the early 2000s. So like I said, I read them multiple times just because I very much connected with the stories and I very much appreciated them, as I've said, but also just to double and triple check that they were quote unquote, okay for a high school audience, meaning that not because mm -hmm. of what you'd written, but because how people might perceive them. Oh, they talk about sexual mm -hmm. things. They say the F word. Because teens talk like that. So I don't know. Have you gotten any that sort of feedback or pushback of like, well, these are for teens, but they're too, quote unquote, dirty. And how do you respond to them? Yeah, it, it presents very inconsistently sometimes. I have gotten some. I haven't gotten as much as some other authors. A lot of that just due to kind of privilege. And I think I come off as somebody who seems like a, quote unquote, safe point of entry, you know, like I was perceived um, as being straight and continue, I think, to be discussed and perceived as straight. You know, I'm married to a guy, you know, I'm white. I, um, you know, just all of these layers of privilege that I'm shielded from a lot of, you know, the pushback that you sometimes see, you know, like I have many friends um, who are gay men, authors who are gay men and, you know, will sometimes like be told they're not welcome. And this is not exclusive to gay men. This is 
absolutely also true of trans authors for sure, and also queer women. We need to um, cancel this school event, or you can come do the school event, but you can't mention that you're queer, and um, you know, and just a lot of soft censorship, which you know doesn't necessarily uh, raise the same kind of fuss as like when we think of censorship in schools. I think we think of like parents protesting this book and it being removed from the library in a big like. And that absolutely happens. I feel like is the most banned book again and again, it seems like, um, and I'm not sure if this is the number one most banned at the moment, but the book George by Alex Gino, and uh, which is a fantastic book. And it is a book, you know, written for, I would say the target audience is around like fourth or fifth grade or something. Um, and that's where people get really sensory, I guess, like, you know, like you really see it a lot. I see it less with high school, but a lot more with middle school. I've known so many middle school librarians who have to work so hard to convince the administration to even allow your middle grade books, you know, which conventionally does not have like cussing or you know, drinking and, and things like that. Like that's a younger target audience with young adult books, mine, it's a little hazier. Like sometimes legitimately certain settings can't deal with the F-bomb. Like, sure, you know, that's fine. Um, sometimes it's almost as if a book has like a certain number of strikes against it, kind of, that would kick it out, out of the library. And like a queer book gets a strike for being queer and then a strike for the F-bombs and then a strike for, you know, whatever other content, you know, like drinking or something. And so therefore, if you had two books that were kind of identical in content, but one was a Alice's narrative and one was queer, the queer one would be seen as less appropriate in certain settings. Obviously, that's not across the board. And a lot of times, I don't think people are aware of it. There are um, people in the book community who are like on the ground in the schools and stuff who are like waking up and like going to bat for these books for their kids, you know, for their students every day. It's pretty um, much appreciated, I think. That makes me feel good because I might follow the line of better to ask for forgiveness rather than permission and just put the books in the library without asking anyone's you know, permission, maybe even my librarian moms, yeah. you know. <laughs> At nwpb.org, you can find news, music, art, and culture. Never miss out on the stories from your community by bookmarking nwpb.org. nwpb.org, a website that engages, enlightens, and entertains. I want to come back to, you mentioned some terms that maybe not everyone are familiar with if they're not in the LGBTQIA plus space of, you said cishet. Mm -hmm. and, that, and then you also said you previously identified as cishet and now would say cis. And there's some interesting nuance there that I want to get into. But if you could just explain real quickly what those terms are shorthand for and what they mean. So cis is um, kind of most simply a word that means like not trans. So that means you experience your gender as the same as what it was assigned to you at birth. And if you hear people say allo cishet, allo means not asexual. Het means heterosexual. If you hear um, somebody use the shorthand um, cishet or allo cishet, that means basically somebody who is, you know, heterosexual, like somebody who's straight, not trans, and not asexual. And so to the point of you saying you are cis and previously would identify or people would have identified you 
and maybe still do as cishet. That's the point I wanted to come to. You wrote in August of 2020 in a very personal, revealing, and I imagine pretty tough to write, I don't know, media <laughs> post. And I glommed onto it and I really appreciated it. I want to read a little bit from that. But labels sometimes change. That's what everyone always says, right? It's okay if you're not out. It's okay if you're not ready. It's okay if you don't fully understand your identity yet. There's no time limit, no age limit, no one right way to be queer. So what led up to you writing that and what were you saying in that? So one of the things that's so interesting, but particularly about that quote from the essay I wrote, you know, it is absolutely um, 100% what I believe, that labels can change, that there's not one right way to do it. It is also kind of messaging that I had heard uh, within my various communities. But, you know, what I think was so hard is that the way the conversations tend to play out in these spaces really undermines the very heart of that message. So we can kind of hold the idea of yes, like sexuality is fluid, gender is fluid, like these labels can change. You know, we don't know everything about other people as well. And so there may be identity labels that somebody already knows applied to themselves, but they haven't shared that publicly. And we know all that, but the ways in which we interact with each other online doesn't make space for that. In my experience, I wrote this piece, you know, I, I wrote it a while before I shared it. And writing and sharing this essay, I mean, that was, I mean, the way I came out to my family was I sent them this essay, you know, and I did the thing that so many people have had to do before me, had all these like really awkward conversations with a lot of friends. And that was all very normal queer experience in some ways, you know, and certainly on the lucky and privileged side of things. And it was like, there was a lot of just like, I don't, don't want to do it. This is going to be awkward. The last thing I want to do is age 37. I like just don't want to have this conversation with my parents. You know, like, I'm just like, this sounds terrible, but I did it. And then I, you know, I posted something on Instagram and then it kind of, you know, migrated to Twitter as I knew it would and, and was shared pretty widely. And it was awful. It was traumatic. It was absolutely awful. Um, I haven't talked about it a lot publicly because it's hard to talk about. But by being vague, as I was a bit vague in my essay, people just don't believe you. You know, like I just wasn't believed. Um, like it was performance art or something uh -huh. That's what you were accused of. Yeah. Oh, I was accused of a lot. I mean, and I knew this would happen, like, but I just, I didn't know what else to do because a variation of it had been happening to me for a very long time, which is like, there were definitely people who thought that I was lying. I heard my bisexuality called questionable and suspicious because there was a kind of suspected like profit motive, like as if maybe kind of I had made as much money as I could make presenting a straight. So now I'm trying to like kind of tap into the own voices audience or something, which... And own voices <laughs> being the, the movement for people of a certain representative community to be the ones to tell and write their own stories. That's yes. I wonder if you were unintentionally or maybe subconsciously writing these coming out stories in various ways. And even in the upside of unrequited or Molly, it's a heterosexual attraction, you know, Molly, the young girl exploring her interest in, in boys, but still like the way you present yourself to the world, you, you've written about that in, in all of your books, really. Right. And especially the Simon verse ones. But was the subtext there you were trying to figure out how you were going to eventually present yourself to the world? 
and maybe you didn't realize you were writing that at the time, like all these characters are dealing with like, kind of coming out in some way. And eventually you came out in a way that was very difficult and you didn't realize you were kind of preparing yourself for that. Consciously had no idea, like absolutely not. There's no part of me that like sat down and was like, let's play out some of these um, coming out scenarios that I'm so anxious about or something like, you know, and I think this tied into some of the backlash because I had in interviews, like when asked, you know, I said I was straight and I talked about, you know, leading up to this, I work with queer kids for a very long time. That was my specialty as a psychologist. I was it was not a psychologist for very long. Um, it, it was just a community that I was very invested in, in a long time. That is a classic story. <laughs> like that's it, it's just like it is like a cliche almost. It's like the overly invested ally, right? Like you hear about that all the time. It's hysterically funny. Have that moment where you're like, oh, you know, to even be aware of the overly invested ally. And I was going around like people would be like, you know, so what is your connection to Simon? And I'd be like, Simon is probably. I mean, I don't know. I think all my characters have a lot of me, but like Simon is so much of me in him. And, um, but I would always like kind of throw shade at him and I'd be like, yeah, but I'm like Simon if he had self-awareness. Well, turns out, like, uh, like nope, I'm just Simon, like less self-aware than Simon. You know, a lot of the backlash assumes that kind of the way it works is I wrote these queer books or whatever reason for profit, jumping on some kind of bandwagon. And then there was success, but also backlash. And then I came out as a way of shielding myself from criticism. My experience of it is like, I wrote these books, had no idea why. I also was like, you know, writing queer fan fiction and like doing all these things that like queer people, I found out later, very commonly do like you know it is like so common for people to realize they're queer writing fan fiction i wrote it too didn't realize i was just a little denser than everybody <laughs> like you know and then i'm like huh okay you know like i was um just like roasting myself where i was just like imagining like there's this little like exasperated person with a megaphone in my brain who's like trying to make me see it and they're like okay okay well the fan fiction didn't do it let's see let's see um maybe let's have her do her uh, in high school we're, we're in high school now let's have her do her senior project about like queerness in anime okay okay nope she still doesn't get it all right all right um let's have her go to wesleyan in connecticut where everybody there is like queer uh, like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, nope, she's, she's still not there, you know, all right, grad school, let's have her, like, you know, and it's just like, unfortunately for me, my coming out didn't have to be hard, but it ended up being really hard because it had to happen on such a large scale. Right, so. which was maybe yeah. unintentionally similar to the theme in Simon mm -hmm. about how, I mean, it's like life imitates art, imitates life or whatever. <laughs> um, oh, I know, yeah, it's just... Yeah. You were sort of forced. I, I, that's a very tough and sensitive topic. And again, I appreciate you writing that. Do you know a child who's interested in the world around them and how it all works? Then check out one of NWPB's local productions, Ask Dr. Universe, a series that answers kids' most baffling science questions in a fun and engaging way. Head on over to askdoctoruniverse.wsu.edu to learn more or submit a science question of your own. 
I wanted to ask about Love, Simon in particular, and Love, Victor, in terms of their movie presentation or their, their you know, visual presentation, of course, come off in a very rom-com-esque sort of way, which is we know well that, that genre of, of TV and film. And of course, Love, Simon, I guess, is the closest corollary we have to a young adult you know, romance-like book. It's not a Danielle Steele novel. <laughs> but what I'm getting at is when I finally got around to, to watching the movie and then reading your books and talking with, with friends and mentioning it, you know, who are you know, similarly in the LGBTQIA field, they say they're great, love the movie, love the books, but they're not really realistic. That's what I, I heard a lot. And I kind of had to push back on that a little bit because... I thought, well, you know, they spoke to me in a lot of ways, so it was realistic in some ways for me. Not, not entirely, but it was. And not just because it's a, a gay teen, but because I felt like there was a lot in there about how angsty teen life can be and how hard it is to navigate the next years of your life not knowing what they're going to be like and being so afraid of the end of high school. And to me, that seemed very realistic because everyone can identify with that in some way. Not that everyone's high school experiences are the same. They are certainly not. So are your books generally meant then to be reflective of experiences or maybe aspirational toward these broader themes that we see in romance novels that, yeah, they're not realistic. They're aspirational because they make us feel good. Well, I think there are a bunch of different kind of threads that I'm I'm sort of catching on this question. First, I want to definitely say I actually do call my books rom-coms, either rom-com or coming of age. Um, and that I think it, for me, that's just because um, kind of within publishing, when you label your book a romance, I think within publishing that has a specific meaning with specific conventions, you know, so I definitely want to be careful about doing is kind of marketing my books as romances and then having readers go in with a certain set of expectations and then possibly finding that my books, which were not written, those in mind may like violate those expectations. Yeah, but I wouldn't call mine necessarily that genre, but it's really interesting kind of putting a book like that out there. And I think this is true of every book. Um, I know this is certainly an experience that I share with my friends have kind of had, you know, the similar disorienting experience of having you know, a ton of feedback come in and some of it is uh, directly contradictory, but it's all coming from a very like authentic place for that reader. And it really reminds you how much our own experiences like service this filter for what we read. So you end up with, you know, I would say a subset of readers, you know, have said that like, yeah, Simon, you know, is really fun, but it's definitely unrealistically carefree kind of, you know, everything's, you know, just a little too easy for Simon. You know, it's just, it's very much aspirational in that way. And then some people read it, they're like kind of upset to read it and realize, you know, whoever recommended to them has been calling it a fluffy rom-com. And maybe they even liked the book. Maybe that reader even enjoyed the book, but they considered it traumatic. Force outing, you know, is a part of it. And, um, you know, there is some trauma associated with Simon's story And when the film came out. And the film is, of course, different from the book. You know, so you end up having people watching this film who think, you know, this is absolutely the most, like, ridiculously sanitized. Like, I can't connect to this at all. Like, this kid has a perfect life. And you have people who are triggered by Simon being forced out and Simon's friends, you know, there's some complexity around their reactions to him coming out that like was upsetting for certain people watching it. 
I mean, there are certainly patterns to the different reactions, like generational divides and kind of how people experience the story. Sometimes it's very moving to see the range of reactions and just the ways that people's experiences play into it. I do think a lot of times we, as consumers of media, can feel a little bit trade if we go into something expecting it to resonate with our experiences and then it doesn't and it feels like wrong. And so there are definitely people who this is unrealistic or it's like written for straight people or it's just like it is unrealistic in a way that I love because it is, you know, it is subverting this um, rom-com trope that like the cishets have had a field day with already, you know? So it's just like all these different reactions to it or and then some people who are like this is like reading my own diary it's so realistic I almost had to like put it down you know <laughs> like yeah it depends on the reader and the viewer and that was a little bit of my experience I'll just say personally you know it was it, again didn't speak to me in every single way by any means but it was definitely great help in that way just helping me think through some of my own things like I said earlier to you I didn't come out until a little bit later in college and, and grad school but Looking back, I don't think it was because I would not have been supported. In fact, I, I very much, I think, would have been, even at that time, you know, 18 years ago or so. And your book really put things in perspective, personally, for me, and I, I imagine many others, who thought it was my own misgivings, it was my own unwillingness to have things change, which was sort of a theme for both Bram and Simon. And so I appreciated that, and it spoke with me in, in that way. So, uh, Becky Albertalli, I know we've been talking a while, and, and you have family obligations to get to. So I just want to appreciate everything that you've written so far in our conversation today. So thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is lovely. Know thyself, an ancient Greek aphorism. In modern speak, we say identity. A self-examination, your measure, place, who you are, who you love. For this Traverse Talks, you heard my colleague Scott Leadingham interview author Becky Albertalli. She wrote Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens, which became the movie Love, Simon. Thanks so much for listening to Traverse Talks. Traverse Talks.